When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what he has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. My guest today is Michelle, also known as Mish Poe. She's a precious friend, and she was also a guest panelist during my live podcast launch, uh, the event on October 1st. Even in our limited time as panelists answering questions from the audience, she wanted to pour out all of her heart to anyone who was suffering with mental health issues and thoughts of harming themselves. The passion of her heart is to reach every single person whom God puts in her path, who may be struggling to find solutions, peace, and a better quality of life. She's quick to let you know that titles, labels, and the desperation of the mind does not define you. Christ defines you. She is steadfast on God's goodness, even in the midst of her battle, and knows that God pierced her attempted suicide with his great love for her, and that is why she's alive today, and why she will fight for a better day every day. We're going to jump right in, and we'll start with her giving us a little backstory on why she transitioned from Michelle to Mish. I'd like to welcome you, Mish Poe. A lot of people call you Michelle, but I call you Mish, and even then, that little transition from Michelle to Mish, can you tell us about that? Yeah. I've had a lot of pain and dysfunction in my early life, in my childhood growing up, and walking through the valley of depression, anxiety, PTSD, insomnia, ADHD. Just walking through that, my husband calls me Mish, and we're best friends. I found myself in some new situations to where I'm like, you know what, like Mish just fits me better. I'm a new person. I'm a new creation. I've walked through this valley, which hasn't always been a valley, but got into new situations to where I started introducing myself as Mish. Mm -hmm. And it just fits me right now where I am better than Michelle. And of course, if people call me Michelle, it's not, no, you have to call me Mish, you know, but people who have asked me, it's like a a Saul Paul kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. So I just feel like it fits me better. That's beautiful. Even that you acknowledge your transformation uh, through your name. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of stigma around mental illness as a whole, but our focus today is about being a Christian and having mental illness or issues that you struggle with of anxiety and whatnot. What has been your experience with regard to that in the Christian community? Have you seen firsthand the stigma that kind of comes behind it, whether it was yours that, you know, you, you can't say anything because you believe in God? It first started as postpartum for my last child. And I got really bad postpartum depression, and then it just kind of kept getting worse and worse and worse. I'd been a Christian for 10 years, a pretty strong Christian, working in the church, working in youth, working in women's ministry, and having four little girls. I'm reading my Bible, and I'm listening to worship music. At that time, I was pretty legalistic. We didn't listen to anything non-Christian. We were having family devotions. We were, you know, as much as I could dealing with this illness. 
I went to a pastor who was an associate pastor. I had a meeting with him and he was like, oh, you just have stinking thinking. You're not praying enough. You're not reading the Bible enough. Right. And he didn't, I don't think he believed me when I said, I'm pouring my heart out before the Lord, right. asking him for help and reading the word and trying to stand on scriptures. And my mind was just not healthy. So I got that several times and still 20 years in have to be careful who I share what with as far as getting my feelings hurt. I'm pretty, pretty tough by now. I find when I share that I take medication because I have a chemical imbalance, either they don't know what to say or they like, you don't need that, but they haven't walked through this valley as long as I have. And so the stigma of taking medication, I'm very careful who I share that part of it with. Right. And encourage therapy and reaching out and journaling and encourage other things before I ever bring up the subject of medication. Right. Okay. Yeah. And, and you found a better quality of life with that because of the chemical imbalance. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and so what you're saying is a lot of people will not understand. They won't make that connection because I've heard not necessarily with mental illness, but I've heard, Oh, you're not praying hard enough. You're a bad Christian or you've sinned. God's punishing you for things. Yeah. Like yeah. I've heard that too. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. And that's always a difficult uh, conversation to have because they're already blocked off to to what you're trying to share, yeah, limit your desire to share with people like that. So specifically, what have you struggled with? I heard you say PTSD. Ongoing is major depression, depressive disorder. Major anxiety disorder are my main things. I do struggle with insomnia. I do take something to sleep every night. I have PTSD, a situation that happened about four or five years ago. Oh, ADHD is a newer thing that I take medication for is I was getting the depression and the anxiety and the insomnia under control. I couldn't focus. And because of depression and anxiety for so long, you know, the hopelessness and the sleeping and the, the pit of despair was so great that I didn't realize that I had a focus issue. So once I started sharing that with my prescribing doctor for my mental health illness mm -hmm. medications. Right. She's like, I wonder if you have ADHD. Let's mm -hmm. just try. And I'm like, okay, more medication, but I can totally read. I can finish a project now. And I love to do DIY projects. I really love to do work with my hands and crafts and stuff. And it really has helped with that. Okay. Well, good. I always love to hear of a better quality of life because yes, even struggling if there's solutions. And so you were 10 years into being a Christian, active in church, listening to your Christian music. And at this point, is this when the first uh, episode of depression came on 10 years into being a Christian? Yes. You have the birth, your fourth daughter. Yes. And that kicks in this level of depression. Um, which I know, would they have considered that uh, postpartum depression? Yes. Okay. Well, good. And then I say good. I mean, thank you for clarifying yeah, that. Yeah. yeah no, I, I understood what you meant. <laughs> and so the first one you're able to get help for, like you say, I'm going to get help and you take some action. How did you take action? How did you recognize it and say, oh. Evan went out of town and I was left with the four kids by myself. And unfortunately, I had like a nervous breakdown while he was gone. 
it was severe. It was at my children and it was out of anger. And I praise the Lord for his forgiveness and redemption because my oldest was nine or 10 and had to call her grandmother to come over and kind of help me a little bit. And so when he got back in town, I knew something was devastatingly wrong. I knew then I couldn't handle because I was homeschooling two kids. I had a baby that didn't sleep and I had severe postpartum depression. And because I hadn't had it with my other three, I didn't recognize it as soon. And you know, when you're in survival mode and you're not sleeping anyway, some things just slipped through the cracks and it was definitely my mental health. I didn't recognize it right away. And so I sought counseling in the beginning. I had a midwife who was my care Mm -hmm. and she gave me some anxiety medicine, but it didn't really help because it was more of a depression thing in the beginning. And so it was about six months after seeking therapy that my therapist suggested that I see a psychiatrist because people don't know a psychologist is for therapy and a psychiatrist is who just prescribes medication. Now there are some that there are some that do both, but usually they stick to their expertise. So I started seeing a psychiatrist and I went through years of trying to find different medications that would help. They would help for a little while or they would have bad side effects. And in the beginning, my husband was against medication because he's happy-go-lucky. He's the life of the party. He's always happy. He didn't really understand. I hate in the church that submissive is such a bad thing because when you have a good leader, When you love your husband and your husband is not ruling that over you, it's actually a beautiful word, submission. Mm -hmm. And so I had to go, not behind his back, I told him, I said, babe, you know the stories about my life when I was little. I have to try this. I have to see. And then over the first couple years, he would see that it would help me a little bit. So he slowly but surely got on board with the medication. So there's a learning curve here. And I think that's a nice point to make. You didn't give up with a counselor that really wasn't meeting your needs. There's this process of trying to find the right medical advice and the right medication in order to get this quality of life that you deserve and that, that you should have. I have seen women have a story similar to yours. So it's not uncommon that you could be healthy or have a a quality of life prior to this break uh, or chemical imbalance, and then all of a sudden have to try and understand it. That's something I would love for for moms to know. If it happens, there's this way that you can be your best advocate. And it sounds like you have been your best advocate. God made me a fighter to where he knew what I would have to fight for as a kid in my house. And he blessed me with a fighting spirit to where I don't usually give up. Of course, there have been times where my depression has been so bad, where I've had a couple days of lying in my bed or sleeping as much as I could. This medicine isn't working. I need to see another doctor. We need to change the dose of the medication or seeking therapy. Okay. You're looking for like better options. 
that's really uh, encouraging to people. Right. I admitted myself in the hospital three times. After the third time in 2015, I heard that there was a new thing that came out that was a DNA test that could test how your body works, how your brain works to find out what medication is right for you. And I was one of the first that I know of to take this test. And it showed how much chemical imbalance that I had in my brain. So the end of 2015, I took the test and most of the medications that I'm not supposed to take or that wouldn't work for me, I had tried. And so me getting on the right medications, me starting on the medications that the DNA test said was going to work for me wasn't really tweaked until after my suicide attempt. And so you've admitted yourself to the hospital three times because you're like, something's wrong. I need to get more help. This is not working. I need to rethink this or find a different solution. So what was the difference between that and the day, your first and last psychotic episode? So set that up as far as where was the difference? You were able to recognize that you needed help in these instances, but not this one. Right. So My first hospitalization was in 2005, and we were living as missionaries, and I said, which I do not recommend people doing, and I did not seek the Lord about it, and I said, if I'm a missionary, and God has provided for us financially and physically with the kids schooling and all of this, then I don't need to take my medication. So I went off my medication. Did you feel that because God had provided for you in so many other areas, you were going to step out in faith and and believe that he was going to break this himself? Here we are in Fiji ministering. And I had a breakdown because I didn't have any medication in my body. My body wasn't making the serotonin for my mind. I wasn't sleeping. You're on a different time schedule. I was homeschooling the kids while we were there. So a doctor there gave me something that I used to take before I left. And I couldn't take the dark thoughts that were, and I'm a missionary. I'm serving the Lord. That's always, if I could do it today, I would. That's been my life goal. I'm living my life goal. Ministering to people every day on the missionary base, working and having this dark cloud of mental illness. So the first time I was in the hospital, I got help and I got on some medication and I started seeing, kept seeing that same doctor. But a year later, it was anxiety. It was anxiety from the pit, from the pit, the lowest pit. And I was having six or seven panic attacks a day. And this was in 2007. So I said to myself, it was in the morning again, And Evan did not react well when I first went to the hospital. He didn't understand. But I knew I needed help, and I knew that I needed concentrated help, not just another doctor's appointment. I don't remember how long I stayed there, but I got out, and I found a a pretty good anxiety medicine that worked for me to where I, I could concentrate on my life instead of just having these constant, constant panic attacks. And at that time, 
we would have coffee break every day, the missionary base. I didn't know that I was allergic to caffeine. I can't have caffeine at all, liquid caffeine. I can eat chocolate. I can have brownies and stuff. But we were having coffee break every day, and it took me years to figure it out. Okay. The caffeine in the coffee was triggering my panic attacks. Wow. I, I don't think I know too many people who do not drink coffee, so it's an everyday yeah. habit for people. Yeah. And I just love the taste of it. Okay. And, and then we came home from being missionaries at the end of 2007. My husband felt called to be youth pastor of the church that we were at at the time. And I was devastated because I had always wanted to be a missionary and I was kind of getting better in my mental health. And then fast forward to 2015 and seeing doctors and I saw a counselor that really hurt me and gave me a bad impression. Even though I'd seen several counselors that were pretty adequate, she said things to me that were very hurtful. And so unfortunately, I learned the hard way that I, I took myself out of counseling. My anxiety and depression both were very severe and I was having thoughts of harming myself. Mm-hmm. And it always was, my family can't find me. My family needs me to be strong. My, my kids need a mom. My, my wonderful husband needs me as his wife and best friend. And so I checked myself in. That's where I heard about the DNA test. Did you ever feel like you arrived at the perfect dose? I arrived at the perfect dose after my suicide attempt. Okay. So in 2015, you, this is your third hospitalization. You're trying to explore new medications. Hey, this is not working. You guys got to help me out here. Yeah. Um, So you've gone to the doctor to get a new medication and a new strategy, but you're not going for counseling. Yeah. As of then, no. Okay. So I was out of the hospital and I had seen my doctor that I had been seeing for a while. And I was like, this guy isn't working. This connection, the medication isn't working. I need to seek out a new medicate medication a new psychiatrist and I was just praying and praying and praying one day and this lady came up a nurse practitioner and it was a God meeting she could relate to me she wasn't just high and mighty sitting there writing prescriptions right and we had this connection and she's the one that offered me the DNA testing and The only reason I don't still see her to this day is because she had to move out of state and I'm seeing someone who specializes in that DNA testing now, but my medication right now is doing great. Also, after the DNA testing in the beginning of 2016, I had some other health issues and I started seeing a applied kinesiologist. A kinesiologist? What is a kinesiologist? She studies the whole body. So she's a chiropractor who has studied kinesiology. Is it a method? It's a method. It's a method of healing. It's holistic. Okay. So treating the body with chiropractic and supplements. And she also did mental health things as well. My first meeting with her, she could tell me everything that was wrong with me from my questionnaire and by touching places on my body. Okay. 
She said that you're having this problem, you're having this problem, you're having this problem, your chemicals are off in your body. Right. And I just started crying. And then tragedy happened to one of my friends. And my best friend had a falling out. My husband was working 80 to 90 hours a week between his three jobs. Let me ask you a question real quick. Sure, sure, when, sure. When, you, when you're talking about, you know, you're getting therapy, you're getting prescriptions, and you're getting uh, uh, the kinesiology type, are you doing any other things? Journaling, I think you've mentioned before, that's part of what you do now, but are you doing any of the, what's the, the skills? That's not really the word I'm looking for. Coping skills. Coping skills. Did you it's have I started going to a Christian recovery program for depression, anxiety, fear, and trust. I had these fear was ruling my life. What if I don't take the right medication? What if I, what if I mess this up? And I heard about this program and that's where I learned that several people in the group who had depression and had fear and trust issues were seeing a therapist. And I was like, I've got to give this one more try, not one more try, but another try. Just like there are good and bad psychiatrists mm -hmm. that don't fit you, fit me. There exactly. are good and bad therapists, ones that are for me and ones that I don't click with. I started therapy about two months before my suicide attempt. Okay. So I was learning coping skills from the Celebrate Recovery, but I was also learning a lot more from my therapist. Okay, that's good. Yeah. You're doing everything you could possibly do, right? Yeah. What more was there left to do? Right, exactly. Okay. And I was seeking the Lord. I was serving at church. But just like you said, you're like, you're doing everything right. But it felt like my life was falling apart because my confidant, my husband, is working all the time. My best friend of 20-something years were, were, had a falling out. One of my really good friends' sons has this tragic, tragic accident and is in the hospital in, in ICU. So your support system is kind of falling apart there as far as I mean, yeah. you doctors, but yeah. you have these intimate relationships that you count on. So right. pulled out from underneath you. My depression was having another valley. I wasn't sleeping. For me, I know I need sleep and rest. That's one thing I've learned from this. And that's what leads up to August 1st of 2016. Okay. So you've done everything you can. Yes. You're active. Yep. You are, you're a Christian. You're praying. You're and asking God. But I love the fact that he's still working behind the scenes because the, the story that you're getting ready to tell us uh, about the, the um, suicide attempt mm. is he's still working. He's still moving on your behalf. How would you describe him during this time? Like for me, uh, going through my grief uh, period, he's just, he was very quiet, but, yeah. he, but his presence was everything. Yeah. So did, were you connecting with him on a personal level? How would you describe God during this time? I would say I felt that he was close, but he was allowing me to go through this situation so that what comes at the end would be what it is now. Because I'm the healthiest I've ever been for four years. That's beautiful. And before that, I had never had a huge breakthrough, like huge breakthrough, like I had after my suicide attempt. And my attempt happened 16 years after having depression. Okay, so there's a 16 year process 
of when it first appeared and then you actually, and I think, I don't know, maybe I can't say this, so maybe I should say it in a general terms, but I think that things get worse before they ever get better. Like yeah. you have to hit rock bottom sometimes before there's, yeah. a, you know, breakthrough of legitimate mm -hmm. difference. And so I think that's what you, you're explaining here. Your, your husband's not available to you and he's your best friend in the whole world. Then, yeah. you, you know, your best friend, uh, you, you two have a falling out. Another friend now, her full attention and time is devoted to her son who completely needs her. And then yeah. you're trying to fill in there too, though. You were trying to be by her side and help her out. Yeah. Uh, and so everything is about taking care of everybody else. Now you're not taking care of yourself. That is exactly right. So if I felt like God was close and I feel like he was trying to reach out to me, but I was praying for my friend's son. I was praying for my marriage that I felt like was not falling apart, but we never had time together. Instead of praying, God, can you help me in the situation where I'm not feeling well? Can you help me with these new coping skills? I was not taking care of myself, but God was there. Is, all right, so lead me into that August day. What is going on on that day? So the night before, I didn't realize until looking back, I had a breakdown again. My body was exhausted. My mind was fully depressed and anxious. I felt alone, which is the enemy will use with people with depression and anxiety. And I sat out in my backyard at the very end of my backyard where no one could find me in the rain for I don't know how long. Just sitting there saying, I don't, I can't live this way anymore. What would have happened in the past, like the past three times, is right then I would have driven, I should have driven myself to the psychiatric hospital. But I didn't see, Evan, my husband called it the perfect storm. Mm. That it was so, I was so sick that I didn't see how sick I was. And there were no thoughts of, I better get to the hospital and get help because of my family. Like there were the past previous times. Um, so you were really so, beyond exhaustion. Yes. You were beyond anything that you've known to this day. Something, something broke, something broke. And I went to sleep that night and I woke up the next morning and I was not myself. All I started doing was packing the car with anything, I, what I see now and what my doctor in the hospital said it was, was I had a psychotic episode. I was not in control of myself. But I knew that day that I couldn't live anymore. There were no thoughts of, unfortunately, there were no thoughts of my children, my husband, my loved ones, my friends, myself. And I even had an appointment that day with a friend. And while they were out of the room, I was searching to find out ways to do this attempt the less hurtful way. And I found it on the internet, which is so devastating to me that, that all that stuff is on there. Right. 
Easy. And if you, if someone ever gets to that point, they need to reach out and get help. Yeah. There's so many avenues. There's, there's suicide hotlines. There's texting. You can take yourself to the, to the hospital. You can confide, confide in a friend and have them pray with you. There's so many things you can do, but I was past that point. So what I did is I drove out of town to the Outer Banks and I had my music on. I was singing. I was singing the whole time. I had no clue about my family. They did not, I have to emphasize that because that's one of the main reasons I fight for myself is for my family right. and for, and for my, I'm beginning now to have a self-esteem which I had zero then okay. and to do it for myself as well. But what, what would get me to help myself was I messed up. I'm really sick. My family, my family needs me. Right. My husband needs me. I'm driving down to the outer banks and singing the, the windows are open. It's, it's August 1st. It's beautiful outside. It was about to rain. And I parked at one of the beach things and started to do what I found on the internet. And I became, I had the car turned on. I had it locked. It started raining. And I just did what this thing said. And I passed out. And I should have died. Mm -hmm. I should have, what I did, there's no way I should have lived through that right so I was passed out and I woke up I was coherent enough to wake up on the phone with 911 there's no way with what I did to myself that I could have been coherent enough to dial 911 right. it was the Holy Spirit right yeah then the next thing I know I'm throwing up outside the car and there are all these ambulance at least two or three ambulances there and I had my location on my phone on so Evan knew that I was not, and I didn't tell him, I didn't talk to him all day, which wasn't good or bad. It was just sometimes he has a busy day. We don't really talk. Well, I think and, you um, 70 to 80 hours a, a week. Yeah, so, yeah. right. And when, in the second job being at a restaurant, I can't call him at the restaurant when he's working, you know, bartending. So... I get to the ER and it's at like one or 2 AM and he's there. And he, I found out later a little couple days later, he had to involuntary involuntarily sign me into a psych hospital because you had attempted suicide. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. And that's in the state of North Carolina. I don't know what it would be in other States, but that's for North Carolina. Right. So I was in the ER for two and a half days because I was so sick. Right. And they had to search for a place because I couldn't come, I couldn't come for, to Virginia Beach and go to the hospital here because it happened in North Carolina. Right. So I was transferred by police car in the back of a police car to a place in deep, deep middle of nowhere in North Carolina. <laughs> and it was where God wanted me to be. It's it funny that he, he can put us in some of the oddest remote places because he is working yes beautiful yes and to me part of your proactiveness of course your family spurs you on and they're the ones that keep you going but 
the fact that you have been genuine, even now you're very genuine about what your struggle has been. And I love that. And here you are setting a pace and changing thought processes, delivering solutions and strategies to your daughters. And that has to be a beautiful, it's beautiful to me. It has to be beautiful to. It is, it is a beautiful thing, especially with my oldest daughter and I, me being so young when I had her, because I became a Christian the day after I found out I was pregnant with her mm-hmm. at 16. Yeah. So we fought so bad when she was a teenager. And now she texted me a week or two ago and told me I was her best friend. So that was a God work. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> but and your daughters are having children, or at least I know, I think your oldest one has children. And, but they're all eventually at some point, I assume, have children. And this yeah. could be a turning point for them. And they're like, oh, wait a minute. Mom's already shown me what I need to do with this. And right. then you are as their advocate to lead them through. Yes. That's life-changing. That's that generational curse type thing changing. Yes. yes. Yeah. God, God yeah. is so good. So I'm in the back of this police car going to two hours away from the Outer Banks, two and a half hours away from, from home. home. And I am a mess. Like I finally got to journal and I journaled out the whole what had happened to me because I wanted to get it out. And uh-huh. so by day three, I was kind of coming out of it and the, the Lord's presence there with me without having any music or any preacher or any support, his presence there with me was like he was sitting next to me. Because for the first couple days, guilt and condemnation sat on my chest. And that sounds dramatic, but it was. How could I do this to my family, my husband, and myself? So my first two days in the hospital were filled but it was also my journal was filled with scripture my journal was filled with God speaking in my spirit so loud that it felt it wasn't audible it felt like he was like like I said sitting right next to me but I love the fact that you're talking about a very real struggle soon as we mess up soon as we and you each person can define how what mess up means to them but as soon as we do that, Satan is quick to come in with condemnation and uh, trying to rip you apart and strip you from relationships, strip you from anything that gives you value or worth. So you've you got this condemnation going on, but then you're also pouring out scripture, this battle going on that really is very indicative of, of people in general. So by the third day, when you're in a mental hospital, well, the ones I've been in, you meet with a social worker and you meet with a psychiatrist every day. So they're helping you with your meds and they're helping you with the social part of it, the logistics and all that stuff. Trying to process you as far as why you're there, what they need to do to get you released. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So by my third day, I had an appointment with my psychiatrist and I went in and I said to him, I have to know why I did what I did because I've been telling you for two days that that is not me and I would never do that in the past or I had never experienced in 16 years of dealing with this illness, these illnesses, this before. I was not in control of my actions at all. I don't like doctors that have no bedside manner 
but God used this gentleman, this hard gentleman to speak to me. The doctor said, you are probably never going to know why this happened. What you need to do is concentrate on getting yourself better so that it doesn't happen again. And that has been my motto for four years. So you've got a very hardline doctor, one who's not compassionate as women like, you know, to be spoken to or are related to, but yet he delivers something that transforms your focus from being condemned to now saying, I'm going to, I'm going to get in the middle. I'm going to take responsibility for my health and I'm going to focus on getting better. Yes. The two days of condemnation and me pouring out to the Lord and saying, please show me why I did this. He that was him showing me through that doctor. You don't need to know. You, you're probably never going to know. And you need to concentrate on getting better. And I did from then on. You're engaged with staying healthy. And so yeah. what are some of the things that you do? What, give us a, a way. So, of, way so, you... I stayed, so I stayed in the hospital nine days, which is a pretty long stay. My husband, so when he came to visit me in the hospital the first time, it was a week after the attempt. And I wrote out what I did to myself, asking him to forgive me. I thought, for sure, for sure now, even though we were married 21 years then, for sure this is it. I, I messed up. But the Lord was there with me. I saw Evan. He walked in the door to see me. And the smile that, I'm going to cry. The smile that he gave me when I walked in was like, there is nothing you can do that's going to change my love for you. And before, with the hospitalization before, it wasn't a condemnation from him on me. He just didn't understand. Mm -hmm. What is this meeting going to be like where I actually attempted this time? I didn't just check myself in. I attempted this time. I almost took the, the life of his best friend and he looked at me and he smiled and he gave me the biggest hug and just told me he loved me. Mm -hmm. We talked on the phone every night or a couple times a day. I still hadn't told him. The only people who knew what I did were the people at the hospital. I was still so hurt by what I did. Even though the condemnation was less and the guilt was less, I was still hurt. And you hadn't had a chance to connect with him about it. So there's right. still some uncertainty. You're going uh, on what, you know, how he's received it before. Yes. And here you are, you've gone to the extreme with the situation. Mm -hmm. So certainly a fair yeah. question. Many years yeah. of devoted, you know, relationship. Yes. That's the last one you want to damage. So yes. I so what I did is I wrote out the whole story and I gave it to him and he had to read it on like when he got home so that he would know the whole story and I wouldn't have to talk about it again because I had decided back then I couldn't talk about it again. Now, this is four years removed. I just started talking about it about a year ago. So it took me three years to get to the point, past the hurt, seeing the redemption of being able to talk about what had happened to me because I want to help. Right. And if they can listen to my story and get help before then, then that would be redemptive. Another part of God's redemption of this illness that I live with. What was his response? Uh, love, just love. 
he knew the truth and this is what the truth was and I was going to fight and I was going to get help and I was going to do what I needed to do like I always did before and God's grace has just been on me. So what had happened is my depression medicine needed to go up one more dose mm-hmm. and it's been the dose I've been on for four, four years since then. So uh, to me, you're in the hospital in the middle of nowhere and God's working mightily um, through the people, the staff, the doctors, the medicine. You're getting the evaluation that you need and you now do all the right things that you're supposed to do. What, what is it like today for you? Well, one thing I would like to say after I got out of the hospital and I came home, Celebrate Recovery does have a 12-step program and they're full of coping skills. You have a sponsor. And I really felt like after that tragic, the worst thing I ever did to myself, hitting rock bottom like that, that I had to go through their 12-step program with the coping skills and the journaling and the sponsor and her praying for me and there and going to the meetings. I needed that right after that rock bottom. I really, I don't attend anymore because I see my counselor, but I journal all the time. I see my counselor three times a month. Every, I go two weeks and then take a week off. And I go to my kinesiologist once a month. And sometimes I just have a bad day. It doesn't mean that I'm going down a slippery slope. You just have to be able to recognize that you have strategies, you have solutions, you have options, and you put them all into play. And then you give yourself grace when you have a bad day. Yes. You've come to a beautiful place in this process, but do you have any regrets about what has happened between now and then? Has God given uh, you grace in certain areas that you regret? Oh my gosh, yes. He, so my regrets are the way I treated my children when they were little. I was a very angry, hurt mom, very young mom, but God is a redemptive God. And he has reminded me that I need to ask them for forgiveness. And instead of avoiding it and saying, oh, well, it will get better and she'll grow out of it. No, I would say, okay, Lord, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm going to go and ask forgiveness or I'm going to go and talk to them about it. The regret that I've had with my daughters, he has redeemed by me going back to them and asking for forgiveness. But I went to my daughter's church's women's conference and after it, I was driving her back to her car like the first night or this first day. And so I had asked my daughter particular was one of the ones who, well, she didn't talk to me for years. She wouldn't talk to anybody. She was tough stuff and nobody was allowed in to her pain or her good. This is the daughter that would do the opposite of what I said for years. And I just had asked her, is there anything that I've done that, I haven't asked forgiveness for that bothers you about me that something I did when you were little like and I'm not trying to make things up here with her but and she said mom no and I was crying by then that point and then she started to get out of the car and she goes she started crying which is very rare very rare and she said mom you don't understand but you never left us and I never thought about leaving 
I never thought about leaving ever. I, I love my family. She said, you stayed, you fought and you stayed. <laughs> and then we were both crying, you know, but I never, I never would have known that that's how she's forgiven me because it's something she's, we're different people and the way we think is different. And I would have never known that that's how she's forgiven me for stuff is because I never left. Well, there's a lot of beauty in that to do even now can you connect with the fact of the courage that that took to take responsibility in that way to go to someone who was directly affected by your actions and say even to me that was even a, a very open vulnerable way to leave yourself is there anything I've done that I have yeah. not for forgiveness for that's beautiful you're gonna make me cry that's beautiful <laughs> sometimes it takes God a couple kicks in the butt to me, you know, Holy Spirit going, okay, Michelle, you need to do this. You know, not every time is it easy. Um, but I found that if that doesn't happen, relationships can't not, I don't like the word evolve. Relationships can't grow deeper if there's unforgiveness. I agree because you're right. It takes a certain amount of vulnerability. Right. So there's wisdom in that. So here's my last question to you. Uh, as far as this good, when you think about where you were at the beginning of this, maybe even prior to the delivery your, of your fourth daughter to where you are today, what was a lie that you believed about God? Because I do believe that Christianity is a process of relationship with God. And therefore we are developing and maturing our understanding of who he is. So what was the lie you believed about God when you first started, but that he proved himself to be faithful in the end. So what was yeah. the transformation for you? I would say that even though I have to do a lot of things for myself, I have to take my medication, I have to take my supplements, to go to therapy, I have to write in my journal, all the, all the stuff. I think what it is, is I have to do my part, but I don't have to do all of it. His faithfulness, he has showed me since I was a little girl, I can trust in his faithfulness. He is going to be right beside me. And when I try to do his part, it doesn't, it's not going to work. And all that it's going to bring to me is heartache. You make a valid point in that it is a relationship. You're doing part, he's doing part. It's like this dance where he, he shows up in your weakness. So do me a favor. We'll, we'll wrap this up, but, but close us out with the one thing that you want women to take away from your experience? I want everyone to take away from my experience that if you have a mental illness, it does not define you. God, it's who defines you. The word of God defines you. You can look in it and you can find scripture. You can ask the Holy Spirit to show you where your worth lies. It tells you. It tells you in many places in the word of God how much he loves us, and that's who our definition is. We're not our diabetes. We're not our heart problems. We're not, don't forgive. We're not our unforgiveness. We are who God says we are. Even in the midst of ordinary life, we're still- Yeah, ordinary life and being, being human. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I love you, sweet friend. Thank you for sharing your heart with me and with women. I'm walking away with this just- Amazed at the beauty 
in the midst of the pain and the darkness and the tragedy, there is a lot of beauty. I hope you can see it. I hope you can. I can see it. I can see it. And I thank God for it all the time. And you said, what have you learned? The second major thing is thankfulness, oh. gratitude. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. Because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com and look for the podcast landing page. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have all that is familiar to them flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.